Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Our reading today is from Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through two seventeen. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that (coughs) Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum, After some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus said, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of the Lord. All right. Mark's gospel has been showing us how Jesus is Lord Son, and Savior. The way he has been revealing this to us in the last several weeks has been first to show us that Jesus is the one who brings the kingdom of God. 
We saw at the very beginning of the gospel that Jesus is the one God has prepared to bring his kingdom. Last week we saw that Jesus brings the kingdom by his authoritative word, which we saw was urgent, compelling, commanding, confirmed with power, and of highest importance. And as we go into this passage today, we are going to see that Jesus brings the kingdom, and where he brings the kingdom is startling and shocking. He comes to bring his kingdom to outsiders. Not to the insiders, not to the religious elites, but to the outsiders. We have three stories, each, each story depicting an outsider. A leper, a paralytic, and a tax collector, and his friends. We see in these three stories this mission statement brought into all of them. Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a startling message. The one who brings the kingdom of God, you would expect, would be after the righteous, after the upright, after the the scrupulous. But we are told that the one who is bringing the kingdom of God is seeking sinners, is calling sinners is pursuing outsiders to be inside his kingdom. Perhaps you feel outside today. Perhaps you are feeling like you are an outsider because of things in your life that you can't control. Your upbringing has limited you, has taken away opportunities. Your health doesn't give you the ability to accomplish or participate in areas that you wish you could. Perhaps your employment, you feel like you're stuck. You can't do anything, you can't go up any higher, and you can't get out. Perhaps you feel uh, like an outsider because of your physical appearance. Perhaps as you look at all these commercials and television shows and movies, you're just crushed by the fact that your beauty, your physical appearance is just not what the the world desires and values. Perhaps you find yourself limited by talents and abilities, or you have socioeconomic conditions that have limited you, you, and you don't have control over all of those. Perhaps you are here today with just a sense that you are an outsider because everywhere you go, you find yourself not good enough, not measuring up, not fitting in, not belonging. I think many of us struggle... The world around us wants us always to be looking at an in-group. That's the whole point of the, of the TV shows and the movies, to look at the in-group. But as you, every time you look at the in-group, you have to look back at yourself and say, well, maybe I have to buy the watch. Maybe I need the, the skinny jeans, or maybe I need that car. Maybe that's what's putting me into the in-group. That's how marketing works. There are many different parts of our society that is always trying to... to present to us the in-group, and we recognize through all of these messages we're not part of the in-group. Perhaps you feel stuck on the outside because things you have done. Perhaps you are living with the results and the consequences of a choice or choices that you have made in the past that have limited you. Perhaps missed opportunities, 
perhaps conflicts that you can't or won't resolve, perhaps sins, known or secret, continue to make you feel like an outsider. Perhaps you're prone to destructive behaviors, addictive uh, uh, habits that are robbing away from you day by day the things that you love and value, but, but try as you might, you seem not to be able to stop it. We are going to see today how Jesus restores outsiders to his kingdom in these three different encounters. We are going to see that Jesus restores outsiders by taking away their separation, by taking away their sins, and by taking away their shame. In each of these encounters, we are going to see the living and active power of the gospel to bring new creation into a broken and hurting world. In in fact, what we are going to see is that Jesus' call to outsiders is still given to you. So if you are outside or feeling like you do not belong, Jesus' message is for you. But these messages are also meant, I think, to cause us to reflect as a church. Because Jesus takes a group with him through these different encounters. He takes his disciples And we're also going to meet another group in each one of these encounters, which is going to be the religious elite, the priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And I believe Jesus is wanting his disciples to see that if you want to be his people, if you want to be his community, if you want to accomplish his mission, you have to reject the tendencies and the behaviors of the scribes and the Pharisees and the priests which are keeping the outsiders outside. These encounters that we look at are meant to instruct Jesus' people of what kind of community they are supposed to be. Jesus' people must strive to carry the same message to the world that Jesus proclaims. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. We must be aware, though, that the church can easily drift away from truly living out that message the temptation to make ourselves insiders and those people outsiders exists in our hearts and in our churches. In these stories, we are going to see that as as Christ's radical grace and invitation to outsiders goes forward, there is a counterstrike of resistance at each and every step. We have to search our hearts. Does that resistance live within us? Or are we able to boldly go with Jesus in his mission? I hope that this passage then will challenge all of us to reflect and demonstrate the gospel message that draws outsiders into the kingdom. Let's look at this first encounter to see how Jesus restores outsiders to his kingdom. We're going to look at the story of the leper, Mark 1, 40 through 45, and we're going to see here that Jesus restores outsiders by taking away their separation. So if you have uh, the scripture handout in your um, bulletin, the scripture is there, but also on the back is an outline that you can follow along if that helps you. But the first thing that we're going to see, Jesus restores outsiders by taking away their separation, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. So Jesus has just finished his uh, day in, in Capernaum where he has gone and preached in the synagogue. He has cast out demons. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's done all of these magnificent things proclaiming the kingdom of God through his authoritative word. 
And we saw at the end of that passage that he is now recessed into a, into a quiet, desolate place to pray and where he has recalibrated himself to say, it is not for me to go back to Capernaum, it is time for me to go and take the gospel to all the other towns of Galilee, for that is why I came out. And then we come to this story, and it, is, it, it comes at us almost in a shocking way, and I think that is meant uh, deliberately by Mark, our narrator. Everything seems to be triumphant, everything seems to be just going well. And then we come across this word out of nowhere, and a leper came to him. A leper came to him. That, that's a startling statement. That, that, that's a shock. A leper came to him. This is, this is that experience when you're uh, driving under the bridge or under the overpass, and somebody comes vigorously up to your car trying to get you know, money out of you or to try and squeegee your car or something like that, it's very, it's very nerve-wracking. The person seems erratic. The person is, is unclean. The person is contagious. The reaction that, that, that we have is, I, I want to I be away. A leper is a, is a dangerous presence. And yet we see immediately a leper coming straight to Jesus. How would you react? How would you react if somebody that seemed erratic that maybe seemed unclean, came to you. You would, you would pull back. You would be afraid. But Jesus shows us that he stays right there. He doesn't run. He is there to minister. We need to recognize something about this uh, disease, leprosy, to understand how serious of a condition this little passage describes. Uh, leprosy was obviously a disease <clears throat> that had huge physical effects, it was life-threatening, but it was life-threatening in that most agonizing way of taking away inch by inch from the outside in so that your body basically rotted and decayed day by day. A person with a leprous condition would have uh, open and, and grotesque sores, uh, could even have uh, parts of their body have, have uh, fallen off. They, they were quite distressing to look at. They were in significant <clears throat> suffering. But even uh, in addition to the physical distress of leprosy, leprosy was socially ruinous. It was a contagious disease, obviously, and so it had to be kept outside of the community. But inside of Israel, it was also considered to make him religiously unclean. This person would have been diagnosed by the priest or a priest in Jerusalem and would have been declared unclean based on all of his leprous sores. And if he was declared unclean, he had to live this life, as we are told in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So in addition to the physical suffering, the leper is isolated socially. The leper cannot be in community. The leper cannot be in family. The leper cannot have a home. 
the leper lives in the desolate places outside the camp. He must live alone. And if anybody comes near him, he must warn that person, don't come near, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. He must protect other people from being close to him. He must self-isolate himself. And this is this man's condition. His condition is likely long-term and progressed. How, How do we know this? Because in Leviticus chapter 13, there are prescriptions to check in with the the priest every seven or eight days to see if the skin condition has gone away. He's nowhere close to Jerusalem. He is nowhere close to a priest. He has long since given up checking out his diagnosis. He knows his situation is permanent. And so he is living in a desolate place. He has been there a long time. And his condition is most likely quite progressed. Now, he is wandering desolate places, intentionally staying away from people. He is separated from all people. He's essentially waiting to die. He is a dead man walking. And yet, he runs into Jesus. This leper in the middle of nowhere in a desolate place runs into Jesus. We are told a leper came to him, but we really need to ask ourselves, how? How does a leper run into Jesus? How does he get there? How does the leper come across Jesus if the leper has to live in these desolate places? And the answer is beautiful. Because Jesus was in the desolate place. The leper met Jesus because Jesus went into the God-forsaken land where the leper was. This is a beautiful portrait to tell us Jesus comes to us in our separation. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus doesn't just come to the easy targets. He doesn't just come to the easy fixes. He comes to the far off. He comes to the way outside. And he preaches the message, I have peace for you. And we know that is true because he comes into the desolate places to encounter this leprous person. Jesus comes to us in our separation. Now we need to recognize that the leper comes to Jesus with beautiful faith. He comes to Jesus and he says, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. This leper knows that Jesus, if he wants to, can cure his leprosy. And this leper has lived Years and years and years of knowing there's no cure for leprosy. He has gone to the priest. The priest can't cure him. He knows there is no cure for leprosy. But when he comes to Jesus, he knows it is not a question of can. It is a question of will. If he will, he can cleanse me. He can make me clean. In in the uh, Old Testament, 2 Kings, there was a, a man named Naaman, a Syrian, 
an outsider who had leprosy. And he was uh, told by this little uh, little uh, servant girl from Israel that you need to go and see the prophet uh, Elijah because he can cure you of leprosy. And so Naaman goes, he brings all these riches, and he goes to the king of Israel, and he says, I want you to cure me of my leprosy. And this is the response that the king of Israel tells us in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Do you see what's being said here? Only God has the ability to cure a person of leprosy. It's not somebody in power. It's not somebody in medicine. It's not somebody in the priesthood. Only God has the ability to give life and to cure leprosy. And so when this leper comes to Jesus, he is implicitly saying, I know you can because I know that in you is the life of God He is testifying of faith that Jesus is the Son. And what is Jesus' shocking response? We need to look at verse 41 and read read it aloud. Verse 41, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. You recognize that words were enough. Jesus could have just said, Be clean. But he touched him. Jesus touched the leper. He made contact. And how long do you think it had been before that man had ever been touched by a human? He has been avoiding human contact. And now this one touches him. This act is so beautiful that it acknowledges his humanity. Jesus wants this man to be known and seen and loved. He's not a leper. He is a lost child of Israel. And so Jesus wants to communicate his love and his reception and his care and touches him. But more than that, the touch, according to the law, transfers the uncleanness of the leper to whatever it touches. The whole reason that the leper has to stay away from people is if he touches, he contaminates ritually, if not the disease itself. And so when Jesus touches this man, he is taking on that man's uncleanness in that moment. He is taking the uncleanness that that man has by touch according to the ceremonial law. But more powerfully, when Jesus touches him, he is transferring his healing righteousness into him. And we see as he says, I will be clean, as he is touching this man, that immediately he is healed of his leprosy. Imagine the sight, all these sores healed, all of these disfigurations restored back to their prior state so that he no longer has mar or blemish or any evidence of leprosy because Jesus touched him, taking his uncleanness and giving him his righteousness, this man is immediately healed. And then now look down at verse 43. 
he is able to go back into the community where he can talk freely about Jesus. Before he could only say, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, stay away. Now he is invited and given ability to talk freely amongst all the people. What a beautiful picture of his liberation, of his restoration. But there is another sign of Jesus' restoring him from his separation. Look at verses 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. Do you see what's happened there? Jesus, in healing this man, has brought this man back into community. And because of that healing, Jesus is now relegated to living in the desolate place, living outside of the camp because he could no longer openly enter a town. In a sense, Jesus took the separation of the leper. He took the place where he had to live. He lived there, and the man went back to live in the town. This is the gospel. Jesus bears our separation to bring us into the kingdom. We're told in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 12, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus went out of the gate to pay for our sins so that we can be welcomed into the heavenly city of the kingdom of God. The gospel is so beautifully presented here. The separation that the leper experienced is completely taken away because Jesus takes it on himself and gives to the leper what he lacked which was wholeness and righteousness. And as he leaves the encounter with Jesus, he is able to be a part of the community. But even more than that, he is one of Christ's own. But who will receive this good news? The leper has been sent with a message by Jesus, go and tell the priests, show yourself to the priests that they can see that you have been healed Go and show those priests that they have seen again and again and declared you unclean that you are now clean. He wants them to go to those priests to be a proof to them. You see, the man goes, if he goes back to the priests, he is going to be able to receive the full restoration of the priest's verdict. But even more, the priests are going to have to receive this news that a Leper who was unhealable, uncurable, has now been cured by the power of Jesus. And that sets up the question, what will these priests who have evidence of a real healing of a leper do when they meet Jesus, who eventually will be in front of them? Will they receive him with the faith of the leper, or will they receive him with resistance and ridicule? Are they okay with the power of God bringing lepers back into the community? There is a question in the priests that comes to all of us who get comfortable with being on the inside of church. They become comfortable with the system, whether it's good or bad. But when lepers start coming back in, 
What do we do with that message? Do we resist it or do we receive it? Next, we see that Jesus restores outsiders by taking away their sins. And here we look at the second story where Jesus addresses the paralytic. And this is a, a beautiful story, one of my, my favorite stories. We, we have this, this scene where Jesus is speaking inside of a, of a home, and it's packed. It's filled with all sorts of people that are, are listening to Jesus teaching. Nobody can get through the door. The throng is thick. You can't even squeeze your way through. You can't even use good manners to get your way through. It is packed shut. And yet we have this story of a, of a paralytic and his four friends. And the four friends and the paralytic recognize we have to get to Jesus. But they are literally barred. They are literally on the outside. There is a perimeter of bodies that are keeping them from being close to Jesus. But they will not be deterred, so they go up to the roof of this building. And it's probably a thatch roof. And so they have decided that the way that they're going to get this leper before Jesus is that they're going to dig through this roof and they're going to lower the leper down on ropes. That's a pretty audacious plan because you can imagine if all of a sudden shingles just started popping down off the ceiling right now, the distraction that that would be. be What what is going on? But you know that dirt and mud and and hay and and leaves are coming down. They're probably falling on Jesus' head. They're falling on the little kids that are sitting in the front. What's going on? They look up and all of a sudden a body is being dropped right in front of them. Just, whoom. I don't know how long it took. I bet you it went down pretty fast. <laughs> uh, but, but this body just right there, new agenda, paralytic. Stop, pay attention to this. And so Jesus, does he get upset that his beautiful sermon is being distracted and disrupted? No, he looks, he sees this act He recognizes it as an act of faith. And as this paralytic is coming down, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. It's a paralytic. Was that the the message that they were asking for? It's his arms and his legs that aren't working. What's this talking about sin? Why does he say your sins are forgiven? He needs to walk. You see, this passage has always been shocking. It's shocking for different reasons as as, as time goes on. In, In the original audience, the reason it was shocking is because sins can't be forgiven without doing something, offering a sacrifice, uh, uh, acting out, responding in, in, in different ways. And because that person hasn't done any of that, the idea that his sins could be forgiven is outrageous to the scribes. Because you need to be able to go through and do these different things. You can't just have your sins just forgiven. So what was a, a, a offensive to them was that the, the, the work of forgiveness was not being done by the man. But the man's a paralytic. What can he do? He can't take a goat. (laughs) He's a paralytic. But for us, it's a different scandal. For us, we're we're so materialistic 
The only issue that we see is the man can't walk. Don't mess, mess around with religion and sins and forgiveness. It's the man can't walk that's the problem. Jesus is correcting both mindsets by showing that sin is the most serious condition, worse than paralysis. The man needs his sins forgiven more than he needs his paralysis dealt with. Indeed, there is a connection between the two. It's not causal, but Jesus recognizes that the deep issue, the reason that we live in a fallen world that includes paralysis is because sin runs rampant. And so sin remains the most serious condition. Do we see forgiveness as our greatest need? Do we see forgiveness as our greatest need? Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is, is death. It means that as we disobey, as we act out of our idolatrous desires, as we succumb to temptation, we are earning death. We are earning destruction. We are earning separation from God. And there is nothing about our lives that earns anything but death because our disobedience is complete. Our disobedience is severe. And so the wages of sin is death. And death is the greatest crisis for every single one of us. And so what Jesus does is he resolves the deep need, the greater need first which is to proclaim his sins are forgiven. His fear of death is no longer uh, hanging over him. But this brings up the conflict that that we alluded to in just a second. The scribes see this, and they begin to wonder what's going on here. Because they see Jesus say just uh, out of nowhere, Son, your sins are forgiven. They recognize the significance of Jesus' words. Jesus is saying that he can forgive these sins even though this person hasn't done what they're supposed to do to to, uh, bring God's forgiveness to him. And so they say in response, only God can forgive sins. They condemn Jesus in their hearts. They say, this man is acting like he is God, able to forgive sins. He is blaspheming. He is acting as if he is God. Now, they only say this in their hearts. They don't say this out loud. But just as Jesus was able to see the true faith of the, of the paralytic and the four friends, he is able to see the true unbelief, the true resistance and bentness in the hearts of these scribes, and he speaks aloud to it. He argues with them. He says, which is, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and take up your mat and walk? He is, he is using the argument that you think my words are just words. So why, why don't you, why don't I raise the challenge? And if my words can make the paralytic stand up and be cured and, and walk out, then that must mean that if the greater is true, the lesser must also be true. If he has authority to heal, then he must have authority to forgive. And so he looked at the man and he says, rise, take up your mat and walk out. And immediately the man stands up, takes his mat, and now he walks through the crowd that he was on the outside of. 
Do you see the beauty of that? He was on the outside, and now the crowd has to get out of the way so that he can walk through it because he has now been taken from the outside to being on the inside because Jesus has brought him in, forgiven his sins, and healed him. He is a healed and forgiven man for all to see, including the scribes who have hardened hearts. The insiders are exposed as not truly with the one who has authority to forgive sins. Strauss's commentary, I think, illustrates what is going on in this scene quite well. In a cultural context, he says, where honor and shame are supreme values, there is also an element of humiliation here as the religious leaders who have doubted Jesus' word lose face in front of the crowd. Mark notes that the man walked out in front of them all, providing vivid testimony that Jesus was right and they were wrong. So you see, Jesus has brought this outsider into the kingdom, taking away his sins and demonstrating his rightful place in the kingdom by giving him the power to walk out in their midst. And the people who are in the crowd, judging Jesus for saying these words, are being shown the hardness of their hearts, the secret sins of their hearts, that they are rejecting the one who can forgive sins. I think there is a, an appropriate question for all of us to, to ponder here. We can all be in church. We can all be listening to the same scriptures. We can all be hearing the same gospel. But whether it's in our hearts, whether we believe it, whether we live it out, whether we want to apply it, that is something that remains between you and Christ. But here is the bottom line. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, on the day of judgment, When according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. You see what Jesus did here with the scribes, looking into their hearts and answering the resistance of their hearts, their their argument, and showing their unbelief. He will do to every single one of us. He will judge the secrets of our hearts. He will reveal whether our faith was external or internal whether it was fruitful or faked. And the question that we need to to ponder is, when Jesus looks in our heart, will he find real faith? Will he find the faith that celebrates the outsiders being brought into the kingdom, the sins being forgiven, the separation being taken away? Now, Jesus used these words, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to tell a man to rise and walk? The reality is, it's the other way around. The far harder thing for Jesus to say was, your sins are forgiven. Because as we go through this gospel, we are going to recognize that when Jesus pronounces the forgiveness of sins on this man or on any person, it is not Merely words. It is Jesus taking the sentence of that person upon himself so that that man could live. 
We'll come across these words again in Mark, but in 1045 we are told, even the Son of Man came to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven, what he didn't say, but what he would show eventually is, your sins are forgiven because I am taking your sins and paying for them. So Jesus goes to bring the outsider in to taking the outsider's sins upon himself and being, for a period, putting out, being put outside. This is the gospel. Jesus became the ransom for our sins so that his words, your sins are forgiven, are absolutely true, are faithful and certain. Now third, Jesus restores outsiders by taking away their shame. We come to this last passage about Jesus coming and calling Levi the tax collector and Levi having a a party at his house. There's a lot of stuff that we could say about this passage, but we have to keep it to a few points. Jesus calls Levi to be a disciple just like he called Simon and Andrew. We saw last week, he comes upon the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and Andrew fishing, he says, hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He comes up to Levi at a tax collecting booth, and he says, follow me. The thing is, Levi is not some kind of neutral kind of person. He represents the scum of the earth. He's a tax collector. We know tax collectors are not popular, but they were especially unpopular in this day, because they worked for Rome. And even more than that, the way they got their job was they bid to Rome. They said, I can get $100,000 out of this neighborhood. And if that was the high bid, then they said, all right, you've got it. So how does a tax collector get $100,000 out of a neighborhood? He collects $200,000. $100,000 goes to him, $100,000 goes to the Roman Empire. So the way the tax collector did it was he wasn't following state taxes. He was bidding how much money he could graft out of the people. And whatever else he could keep was his own. So they were dishonest. They were swindlers. They were hated because they represented the occupying enemy. In the community, they had permanent shame. They were reviled. They were hated. There are numerous proverbs and sayings where the tax collector is the lowest of the low. And yet Jesus calls him. Jesus calls a tax collector. Jesus calls a scummy tax collector and says, be one of my disciples. Jesus chooses him. A scoundrel. How? How does he pick A scoundrel, a criminal, a grafter, a swindler. Because Jesus calls people not by our merits, but by grace alone. Jesus calls not by merit, but by grace alone. When Jesus calls people like Levi the tax collector, he is saying that heaven is open to tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes and all kinds of despicable sinners Like me and like you. 
Not because we have made ourselves fit, not because we have made ourselves righteous, not because we have done more good than bad, but because God in his love looks at us and says, I choose you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There are no works that get you into the kingdom. There is no righteousness that qualifies you for the kingdom. The good news of the gospel is it is by the riches of God's mercy. It is by his grace alone. It is by Jesus coming and saying, follow me to the tax collector and nothing else that brings us into the kingdom. That means there is no one for no reason, for no sin, for no shame, for no experience, for no disqualification in this room that cannot receive the words of life in the gospel. Because all who receive the gospel are saved by grace alone. Why? Why? Because verse 17, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Like the doctor treats the sick, Jesus restores the sinner by calling him to repent and believe in him as Lord and Savior. Who is going to receive this good news? Jesus' kingdom has come to restore outsiders into his kingdom by taking away their separation, by taking away their sin, by taking away their shame. Jesus' people then are nothing more or less than those who have been rescued from sin and judgment. In these passages, we have seen the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees had all lost sight of of why anyone is in the kingdom. The priests began to think it was because of their special role, the scribes because of their knowledge, the Pharisees because of their scruples. They had all lost sight of the fact that God's people are a people of grace and grace alone. God's people are outsiders brought in. We are all outsiders. The people of God can never forget this or they will become ineffective at reaching the outsiders whom Christ has come to call into his kingdom. The only way that a church can truly reach the lost and truly welcome outsiders in the kingdom is to grasp fully that there is no natural-born insider in God's kingdom. If you are going to be in God's kingdom, you must be rescued. You must accept Christ to take away your separation, to pay for your sin, and to cover your shame. We are all lost and depraved apart from Christ. But in Christ, we are approved, forgiven, and safe at home in our Father's house. Listen, this is the beautiful news of these stories. Outsiders are invited into the kingdom. Everything that you think you lack, Christ gives you in full. Everything you think you're missing out on, Christ comes to fulfill. No matter how far outside you may feel, you are Christ's. 
if you are, if you uh, respond to Christ's call, you can become part of His kingdom. So what must we do? We must respond to this call, the call given to Levi: "Follow me." He gives to every outsider today. What must we do if we are going to follow like Levi? Immediately, we must leave our tax collector booth and follow him. Responding to the call means we come to Jesus and we leave behind our old life to be under his lordship. Another word for that is repentance. Have you done this? Have you responded to Jesus' call? Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.